They say banks are boring, credit unions are dull. We don't agree, we love them all. Except for the big banks and neos who take a market share, make consumers blue. Need a fresh perspective, new direction. Take back banking and make some connections. If you feel stuck, it's not your fault. Here's an idea, try thinking outside the vaults. Hi. I'm Zach Garver, and you're listening to Thinking Outside the Vault. This is part two of a two-part conversation with Patrick Dixon, Casasa's Chief Research Analyst. In part one, we talked about the challenges that community financial institutions are facing, how the competition is encroaching on their market share, and the idea that growing your institution is like planting a forest for the future. If you missed part one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it first. In part two that you're about to hear, we explore which types of consumers you should be seeking to attract, how your mindset affects your outcomes, and falling in love with the process. I hope you enjoy it. And what's what's the long-term play, right? Because so so for instance, we make it really concrete, like I got a cherry tree last year for Father's Day. I love cherries. I would love to be picking cherries off that cherry tree this year. It's not going to happen. I don't think like I'm not counting on it. My goal is like in maybe two years, something like that. I'm going to start to see some benefit from this thing. And it's, you know, in in the meantime, like it's going to, it's a young tree. It's going to require care and attention. And, you know, I don't, I, I, I say this carefully because I realize that I've never had to manage a balance sheet or be responsible to a regulator. And so just casually saying like, well, just, you know, bring on all the consumers that you can possibly manage because you'll want them in two years or five years. That's because that's when they'll be mature and start to really bear fruit. Like, I, you know, there may be, a, I'm not necessarily tracking the sort of short-term costs that come with that kind of acquisition, but I think there's, and I would love for your perspective on that, but, but from, from what I can see, like the only way to have a tree in 20 years is to plant it right now. You know, and so that's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess I give you a chance I mean, to respond to that. The, no, that's, that's a completely valid concern. And it's, and it's the concern, which is, I don't think anyone's going to argue the importance of a core deposit relationship. If I was able to bring in Zach or Patrick as a consumer that I'm going to have their checking account and, you know, they, like most people out there, they've got kids, they've got two cars, they got a mortgage, these types of things. Like mm-hmm. everyone wants a crack at that business. Like they want it. And, and in five years, of course they want you in five years. But the question is like, how do you, like, what do I do with them now? Right. Um, how do I go about getting that business? And, and that's where it, I don't think the solution is to plant a seed. I don't think you can, you can't go out and just like, you know, take a, the, you know, is the pit of a cherry, the seed? I don't even know. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, Let's say it's fertilized somehow, Mm -hmm. but you've got the the cherry that, you know, instead of putting it in your cocktail, you put it in the ground. Like (laughs) you're going to wait five years for a tree. Like that's like, that's too long for like that. I understand how that would make someone go, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, but thankfully, that's not the only way that you have to go about it, right? Like, there, right. if you were going to start from scratch, certainly that would be one aspect of it. Um, 
but there are ways out there for a, a community bank and credit union to go about, you know, getting a sapling or getting a, you know, 15, 20 foot tree um, in an affordable way. Like, obviously, if you were to go out and buy like a 20 foot oak tree, like, I don't know. It's a lot. I mean, I think dollars. it's, I think I mean, it's it a fair really amount. Expensive. Right. Like, and that would be, that's what they want, but that, that seems unattainable, but there are in reality ways to, to sort of skip the line in terms of um, being able to go after those types of consumers. And I think a lot of it, again, goes back to data and understanding and, and going after the right type of consumer. Tell me more about that. Because yeah, I would like love that. when you say when you say there are ways to skip the line, there are ways to to not just plant seeds and wait a real long time. There's ways to you know get into kind of some more mature relationships, uh, and also not like spend all your money on on customer acquisition. So, what? Give me a concrete example of what that looks like. Um, if you can, I'll use one of our products. I'm not trying to like sell, sure, advertise, but like. Um, we offer different types of checking products to, to help power for our partners. Obviously, I don't know who listens like the, the target audience necessarily, but, um, one of the products that we offer is Kasasa cash back, which is a rewards account, right? That mm -hmm. like, you know, if you spend on your debit card, you're going to get, and you qualify, you do enough transactions, those types of things, you're going to get a certain percentage of your debit card purchases back. It's a super popular account. Lots of like, everyone wants that type of reward. I spend a lot of money. I want some of that cash back. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but what makes that type of like, that's kind of skipping the line. And it's not because you end up with an account that spends a lot on their debit card, which they do. Like you're going to end up with consumers that are far more likely to activate their debit card and use it. Where you start to skip the line is in the sense of who that account is attractive to and what that consumer looks like. Mm. Um, and that is a much younger individual. Uh, and you start to look at the metrics of the consumer that has a cashback account. The average checking account balance in a cashback account across all of our partners is south of $1,500. Mm -hmm. So pretty normal. Like I'm not, that, that's across everyone. I don't care if they're young, old, or whatever. whoever has a cashback account, their average balance is 1500 bucks. And the median is really close to that too. So everyone kind of acts the same with that checking account balance. Right. What's really cool is that if you start to look at that relationship at not just what does their deposit look like, but what do they do with you as well? Like um, from a lending perspective. General, yeah. I mean, just anything like, like how many other products do they have with you? But primarily, obviously the, the lending side of things, um, they typically bring in loan balances at the average for that relationship um, but I think in the first year, I can go back and confirm this, the, but in the first year, it's about 172% of their checking balance. Wow. So within that first year, they've brought in as much in loans as they have in, in checking balances. And maybe it's not day one, but again, we're talking fairly quick results. Now, is and, that the sort of so thing... Just to, if I could pause you for a minute, when, when you're talking, when you're, you know, you're responsible for a balance sheet, you're trying to make it work. You're trying to keep things, you know, as nominal as you can. If, if you have to take on deposits, but you can take on deposits 
with a fair with fairly strong assurance that within a year you're going to more than more than compensate for those deposits with with loan business like that sounds to me like as an outsider a game that you play all day every day as long as you can yeah it's it's definitely a play that you would run every day it would be like having shack like I'm going to, I'm going to throw the ball to Shaq under the hoop and he's either going to dunk it or he's going to get fouled or he might get fouled as soon as he gets on the court. Um, <laughs> but either way, it's going to be helpful to me and I'm going to continue to run that play because no one has anything that, that they can argue. Because of course, like take cash back, the, the sauce cash back title off of it. If that was just the consumer profile and you got to pick out of a bag, you would be picking that consumer every single time. Okay, because that's going to to be much better for you in the long run. An engaged consumer that is eighty five percent of the time actually activates their debit card and uses it and swipes it thirty times and uh, has loan relationships with me. Of course, that that's exactly what everyone is looking for. Uh, because I mean, newsflash: once you have that type of relationship with somebody, you know the world is your oyster and there's, there's no limit as to what that person might be able or be willing to do with you. The question becomes, um, how do you create that, that relationship? Um, and if you try and do it on your own, I I mean, when I say do it on your own, I mean, you can't necessarily magically turn your, you know, uh, your customers into someone that looks like that. You have to be (laughs) putting the right things in front of them for them to take advantage of. You have to incentivize them. Yeah. If we go back to the tree thing, um, there's things that you need to have in place to have a, to, if you, if you buy a sapling or even if you're planting a seed, if you plant it in concrete, it's not going to grow. Um, except for the tree that grew in Brooklyn or whatever. Well, but that's, you know, there's still dirt in Brooklyn Um, under the concrete. Uh, (laughs) But the, uh, the point is like, you're going to want to make sure that you've done the right things to, to make it possible for that tree to thrive. Yeah. Um, And so a lot of that comes down to understanding that you have the, the products that meet their needs. So things like cash back and, you know, the other Casasa rewards accounts are, are great ways to get people to activate but then a lot of this is if I can bring you a consumer that has the propensity to take out a lending relationship with you, um, it's like leading a horse to water. Like if you don't offer them, if you don't offer to give them that you know opportunity to do business with you, well, then obviously they're not going to open a loan with you if you don't ask them to. Yeah. Asking for the business makes, makes a huge difference for sure. Right. And so think- there's, there's a lot of things that you have to, and these aren't things that are like, like, oh, it's it's expensive and it's going to be hard for me to do that. These are just these are just mindsets, more right. or less, that you need to, to make sure that your executive team is on board with. But if you are, then the results can be phenomenal. It's but it's it's really it's a change management and then, you know, changing how you focus on things away from really big mega consumer level credits to having a maniacal focus on wanting to engage with the consumer. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. It kind of leads into my next question, which is, so let's say that I'm, you know, I'm the CEO at a, at a community financial institution, you know, maybe on the smaller side and I'm, I'm listening to this podcast, hearing about 
you know, the importance of focusing on consumers and, and planning those relationships and cultivating them over time and all of that. But, but I look at my operation, I look at my balance sheet and it just feels really far out of reach. Um, what, I mean, what do you say to that person? How does that, what, what's the next step for someone who just feels like maybe they're never going to be able to, to, to participate or perform at the kind of level that we're saying that, that they need to in order to compete with the neobanks and, and the megas? Yeah, it's, um, I guess what I would say to them is that despite how big it looks, the actual work that's required, the change in mentality, like everything you have that you're doing now it's not like you have to restart and, and rebuild your, your bank or change your credit unions like, um, you know, uh, SEG or, or those types of things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really just utilizing the teams and tools that you have already in a slightly better way. Um, I guess to, to maybe like explain that a little bit further, like, your staff is already having conversations with people right. and, and they don't want to be seen as pushy. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to, you know, they don't want to consider themselves salespeople. They're probably and not that, making the ask. Right. And it, exactly. And so what we want to do is reframe the conversation away from being a salesperson to being someone who is there to help the you know help joe help me the the guy that's coming you know the guy or gal that's coming in like they have a concern and and frankly a lot of times put yourself in the shoes of consumer you don't necessarily want to ask right because you don't want to seem you know you don't want to be a bother and they don't want to be a bother so no one does anything Mm -hmm. and so if we can you know just shift that sort of that's one small example but the other aspect of it is like you have everything from a data perspective to be able to begin to understand your consumer, but you aren't necessarily looking at it and measuring to it and tracking towards it and making that the goal. But often when you start to measure for something or set that as an objective, you begin to achieve it. So um, a lot of that comes down to, again, it's just shifting a mindset more than it is having to reinvent the wheel. Right. But right. The, the best way to go about doing that often is to to work with other people that, that have expertise in, in achieving those types of results. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things we, we talked about, too, is like you kind of falling in love with the process. Right. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to you're not going to go out and run the marathon or, you know, have your have a perfect golf game. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you haven't been putting in the work at the range, you know, if you haven't been, been training yourself on your putt or, or whatever that is, totally. but, and, and, and I think, you know, people look at that gap, right. And may think, well, I'm just, I'm just not even going to do it. Like what we're doing is okay. I'm, I'm not so unhappy with the current situation that I need to, to make a big change, but, but it's not about really, I mean, there, there are changes to be made, but the, I love what you're saying that you don't have to like break everything down and and build from scratch. You can embrace the journey and think of it as a process and, and really embrace that, uh, 
and that's that's how you get to the next step. You know, yeah. that's how you start yeah. to see those improvements and, and start. I think it's it's like it's true. I don't read a whole lot of business books and those types of things, but I do. Um, I'm a golfer, and I think I've shared this with you. But one of the things that I've been trying to do personally is lower my handicap and become more competitive in like mm-hmm. events. And um, you mentioned love the process. I've been reading um, a lot of different books from Bob Rotella, who was a, a sports psychologist. I think it was more probably more popular in like the '90s and 2000s. Worked with like Davis Love and all these people that are you know famous golfers or whatever. But a lot of he's not a he won't tell you how to swing. Like that's not what he does. Um, his bend on things is more or less thinking through confidence and, mm. you know, putting in the work and those types of things. And part of what he had said, he's even worked with, um, this might be an interesting story, but I'll tell this here in a second. It's sort yeah. of a two part. One, um, falling in love with the process, like enjoying the work that it takes to become a better golfer or a better business person or those types of things is probably just as important as being, because uh, you, you can't jump to the end. Right. So if you're frustrated by the work, mm-hmm. then don't sign up for it. Like, yeah. Like you have to enjoy doing those types of things. And there's going to be days, obviously, when it's not fun. Uh, everyone knows that. Um, but he was actually, he actually worked with um, LeBron James as. Um, oh, interesting. Like when he was first coming out, he'd been out for years. This is back when he was with the Cavs. Okay. Um, but he had realized that he was not a very good three-point shooter. And LeBron James, like when they started working together, uh, Dr. Rotella was like, well, what do you want to be? He was like, well, I want to be the greatest basketball player of all time. And he's like, okay, well, that's awesome. I want to work with you. <laughs> Aim high. Um, Aim high. <laughs> right. And, and now you think, well, of course, that's super possible. The guy's 6'8", he's 260 pounds or whatever. But um, what LeBron realized was that he wasn't going to become the greatest basketball player in the world if he couldn't hit three-pointers at a higher percentage. Mm. Because teams were basically just leaving him open at the three-point line. He hadn't transformed into sort of that complete player yeah um and so they set up you know the their whole thing around that but um it was just sort of an interesting concept around like look you you have to pick the thing if you want to become great at something like you can find areas where you can improve and you think a guy like lebron doesn't need to improve he's he's awesome Mm -hmm. but he knew that he needed to get better from a three-point percentage to be a better teammate to other people. And, you know, once they started focusing on that, you know, he was able to improve and Dr. Rotella didn't work with him on his like three point shot. Um, because he, you know, he was like, have your staff at the Cavs like put together a highlight tape of you making three pointers. You can make three pointers. You just need to have more confidence that like access the times when you hit the three pointer. It's not like you need to relearn how to shoot. You just need more repetition and more confidence uh, in your three pointers and like, you're going to shoot better. And obviously LeBron is a decent, maybe not Steph Curry, but like, <laughs> he's, he's obviously a more complete player than, than he was when he first came into the league. And he just continues to get better because he works at it. Right. Well, and what he could have done was say like, I'm already an awesome player. Clearly I don't give a crap about three pointers and I'm just not going to do it. Cause I'm already amazing. Right. And I, right. he, they could have said, Hey, um, what we're going to do as a team is because people are leaving LeBron open from a three-point range, we're going to come up with a completely different game plan and we're going to try and get him the ball even more. 
when all of these open opportunities at the three-point line are staring at them. And if you can have him hit a few three-pointers from the three-point line, then they're going to, the defense is going to stretch again. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be even easier for you to dump the ball to LeBron on, you know, an ISO play and he gets to the hoop and scores because he's dominantly bigger and faster and stronger than everyone else. But like, if you can game plan around Shaq or LeBron, <laughs> like if you can take away their best player, then it's awful. And he knew to be a better teammate, to be a, like a championship level type thing, he had to get better. It wasn't that they needed to adjust to highlight his other strengths, he needed to to focus on an opportunity that was already staring him in the face. I think that's that's fantastic, and I think there's sort of two two maybe insights buried in what not even buried in what you were saying, but I just want to call them out. So one was uh, what Dr. Rotella was saying about like visualization essentially. And that's something that for myself, I've realized like I've got a pretty big gap in my life and my ability to to visualize success on in certain endeavors or things like that. And I think that's, I'm, I'm hoping to do actually a podcast with Gabe, our CEO on that. Um, cause I think that's, I think there's a lot baked in there. And I think that, that especially in, in a risk averse, uh, industry like community banking, the idea of visualizing something going really well might feel really scary. <laughs> right. You're like my whole, my whole idea, like my whole idea of success is built around doing things that are not risky and just trying to be as sort of stable as I can be. Right. So I think that's, that's interesting that that visualization, you know, makes, can make such a big difference for somebody who's, you know, already a high performing player. Right. And then, um, and then, and then the other thing of that, like what, I mean, you said it actually, like, what are those, what are those opportunities that are in front of you and, and how can you, Recognize you see those like that'd be the first thing like realize that they're opportunities not challenges and then and and start working towards capitalizing on them you know and i think yeah. that's like the i'm, I'm and i think that the, that will open up new space that's actually the other point maybe that's three points then but that what you were saying about like then then the court's going to open up like you don't know what and when you start down this process of of continuous improvement and and you know falling in love with uh you know the things that you're doing on a daily basis to make your operation better you can't predict necessarily what else that will shake loose in a positive way for you you know I'm, i think that's it like and that's kind of to go back to what we said at the beginning that's why this is such an important area of focus i mean focusing on the consumer and getting them to engage with you more. Well, what are those consumers? If you take the, you know, their account number off of it, they are, you know, podcasters and content creators and, uh, you know, people that have just graduated college and like, they're going Mm -hmm. to start businesses. And like, this is how you begin to build those relationships. Yeah. Um, you can do it the old school way and hope that they come in and, and, you know, want to shake your hand and those types of things, or you can more than meet them in the middle, uh, and begin to, you know, make it your life's goal. Right. To well, be as good of a partner as you can with them. Right. And I think, I, I you know, I, I appreciate you opening the, the, the door to that kind of the old way of doing it, but I, I think it would be, you know, remiss of me to, to not say like the, the, uh, the community financial institutions that we see charging ahead and seeing really big gains and and performing uh, better than their peers are are 
leaving the old way of doing it behind at some level and realizing that they have to adopt the, the, they have to come more than halfway to the consumer. They have to start asking for that business. They have to start making some of these changes. Uh, if they are really serious about being around in, you know, another hundred years, mm-hmm. you know, which is an amazing thing to say for any business, right? I mean, we've got institutions mm-hmm. that have been around for more than a hundred years. That's totally. And they'll be here in another hundred, you know, yeah. uh, we talked about this before, but it's like, you know, chime is relatively new mm-hmm. and, you know, the state bank of, you know, wherever, um, you know, this uh, community financial institution, we've, I've worked with small banks and credit unions, uh, in my time with Kasasa and before that, you know, had, you can walk into the boardroom and you can see like the, like the pictures of like the, the chairman mm-hmm. over the last 150 years. So if you're a betting person, who's going to be in existence in 150 years, you know, this bank that has solid financials that like the people live in that town and this is their family bank or it's owned by a lot of people that live in and around the area now or Chime, who is likely to sell off to someone else at some point. Like, or, or I mean, you know, maybe even get shut down like we saw with, with Aslo and, and when PNC right, Bank or, bought them from, yeah. from. There's there's something there that is far more tangible on purpose to be tangible. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a lot of these community institutions, they, you know, credit unions were created for a purpose. Like that purpose doesn't disappear over time. Right. You know, they, they were created to help a group of people that had similar circumstances have easier access to finances and, and lending opportunities like that doesn't disappear. Right. So, and, and so you have a strong game, you have a strong place to start from and really like, so where are you going to, how are you going to engage the areas where you could continue to grow and, and, and really improve? Yeah. Um, well, I think that's, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time and perspective. I think that's a good spot for us to kind of wrap things up and, right. uh, I hope to have you on the podcast again soon. I really enjoyed this. Totally. All right, man. Well, Thanks it. Patrick. By renewing your focus on providing consumers with great products and service, you can plant seeds for the orchards that will sustain your operation for years to come. And even if you're feeling a little behind the curve, there's hope. There are strategies that you can adopt and partners who can help you turn weaknesses into strengths. You may not find any overnight solutions, but it's not the type of change you should be looking for anyway. If you make it your mission to meet consumers where they are and earn their loyalty by listening to their feedback, you will be amazed at the transformation. Johnny Appleseed walked across Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Indiana practically barefoot. Seems like an insurmountable task, but I think we can all agree that it started with one simple step forward. Thanks again for listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast produced and distributed by Kasasa. Our theme song was written by Victoria Kerr. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, and leaving a review. This helps other listeners to discover us. You can also send your comments and feedback to social at casasa.com.